Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of Luke in chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituri and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds, who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two shirts is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers who were questioning him, saying, What about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. I'd like to begin this morning with a question, and the question is this, What is the great need of the hour? What's the great need of the hour? As we watch society continue its downward spiral into deeper and deeper sin, what is the need? What, do we, what, what, is, what is it that we really need from God? And the reason I started thinking about this the other day is I was at home, I was watching the old show I Love Lucy with my dad, and uh, I kind of got curious, so I was kind of looking up about their life, and of course, generally it's always a mess, you know, with several marriages and this and that, and but uh, I, one of the things it mentioned was this controversy that happened. This was around 1952. And the controversy was over the word um, pregnant. So she got pregnant, and they wanted to work that into the, the skit. She was going to you know, be pregnant on the show. And they had to consult some religious leaders to give permission just to use the word pregnant. And actually, they wouldn't allow them to do it. They said you had to use the word expecting. It was improper to even use the word pregnant on the air. I'm not saying that it was wrong to use the word pregnant on the air, but I'm just saying, look at that compared to where we are now. I mean, it's not anywhere. I mean, you can't even, when Hastings was here, I had to, you know, not look at half of just the, ti- you know, the titles and the pictures on the cover. 
of the movies, of entertainment. I mean, it's nowhere even close. Blatant sin. We're entering into the new paganism. You know, so that's what the Bible says. Sin is like a downward spiral. Apart from God working in a society, it's a downward spiral. It gets blacker and blacker, worse and worse. I mean, all you have to do is compare the divorce rate to 1950 to now. I mean, that's just 60 years' time, and now we're over half of marriages ending in divorce. The suicide rate is at a 30-year high. I mean, I mean, that's pretty significant, pretty crazy. The opioid, they're calling it an epidemic now. I mean, the people that are dying on prescription opioids. So again, I ask, what is the great need of the hour? And the answer is that it was the same as that of the time of the people into which John the Baptist came preaching. Amos 8, 11, and 12 says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea. They're staggering about. They, they have not heard anything from God. And from the north, even to the east, they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. So Amos warned about a time of famine, not of bread or of water, but of something much more necessary to life, which is the word of God, God speaking to people. And at the time of John the Baptist, it had been 400 years since the prophet Malachi had last prophesied and predicted that he was going to send this Elijah figure before the great and terrible day of the Lord. 400 years of utter silence. I mean, you think about how old our own country is right now. What is it, about 250 years old? 400 years, no prophet speaking in the land of Israel. Utter silence. Moral depravity abounded. What was religious Judaism like at the time that Jesus came? Well, it was cold, loveless, law-keeping, ritualism, but no life, no power. What was the political landscape like? Well, look at this list of names. We hardly know anything about them except for their great wickedness. The political landscape was oppressive and wicked. God was silent and the people staggered about in spiritual darkness. And brethren, in, in many ways, it's the same way today. I mean, there, you would be surprised if you went to many places how little is actually being said. There's, no vo- there's, there's very few voices, right, of truth. We thank God for people like John Piper or Paul Washer, people that do stand up and there's a voice shouting out. People are hearing something. Truth is being communicated in power. So my first point from our text today is this. That at particular times, in particular places, and to particular people, God speaks. He begins to speak. The word of God came, like that, to John in the wilderness. 400 years of silence and darkness, and then all of a sudden, down by the Jordan River, you hear this voice echoing down through the valleys and through the mountains, the the. The truth of ages echoing, being shouted out. I mean, what was it like? Were there just a couple people that heard him one day? They were out there getting some water in the Jordan River or something. They heard this man preaching out there, and they go home and tell their family, and more people start coming. I don't know. But John heard a message from God, 
and it so burned in his heart that he had to preach it. He had to shout it on the rooftops. He had to publish it. The word of God came to John, literally came upon John. That's the the literal Greek, upon. It overtook him. He was caught up in it. If he would have tried to stay quiet, he would have felt like Jeremiah, the prophet, who said when he tried to stay quiet, then in my heart, the word, it became like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. He had, he had something to preach. God told him something. It burned in his soul, and he had to preach it. Yeah. And is this not our need today in the present hour, that we need this to hear the voice of God speaking? You may say, well, yes, but that was John, right? I mean, he was the last of the Old Testament uh, prophets. The word of God came to him, but that doesn't happen anymore. But let me ask you this. Does God speak less in the New Covenant? Then in the Old Covenant, is this not the age of the Spirit, the age of redemption? You know, I, I agree, yeah, no, no new scripture, no new revelation in that sense. But in terms of God speaking to people, speaking to their souls in a real way where they know God has dealt with them, God is still doing that. He's doing that more today than he ever did in the Old Testament. Is not God a living God who yet speaks through the preached word? This is what we need. This is what we should pray fervently for, for God to send forth his word in power and in full conviction. And I mean, really, it should be that we're praying this every Sunday, right? We're praying this for Brother Charles or Dick or whoever gets up here. Lord, give them a word. And isn't that what we ask for? We're asking God, God, you speak to us. We don't want to just hear a man. We don't don't want to just hear a lecture of truth being communicated. We want to hear you speak to us. Speak to our souls. We who have been here in this congregation for a while, we've received much grace, haven't we? I mean, we've heard God speak to us time and time again. And it's not the time to settle down and remember the past or remember the good old days when God did this or that, but it's time to ask God for more, right? Lord, give us more. Speak to us more. Louder, clearer. We want to hear you. They said of Jesus, he saved the best wine for last. In our present time, God could raise up a hundred Martin Lloyd-Joneses or a hundred Spurgeons. He's able to do that. And we thank God for the people that he has raised up in our generation. My second point from our text is this. The word of God often bypasses the political and religious powers that be. Look here at the beginning here. It's, he's listing off all these big shot names, right? And In this 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he's the Caesar, he's the Roman ruler of the whole land. When Pontius Pilate was governor, Herod was tetrarch of this place, Philip was tetrarch of that place. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, here's the big shot religious guys, right? The high priests, there's only supposed to be one. And the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, it bypassed all the big shots and it went to John out there in the wilderness, right? You might think, well, God's going to do something big. Maybe he's going to use President Trump. Maybe we should put our hope in Trump. He's going to really get stuff done for the kingdom. I mean, he's going to really bring righteousness back in the land. I wouldn't hold your breath. Or maybe he's going to use the Pope or, you know, the big religious institutions. You know, that's where something's going to actually 
they're the ones that have power. They can really get something done, right? I mean, the leaders of the big denominations. But it's not so. The word of God came to John, an unknown man, known by very little, out in the wilderness. God does not need man to accomplish his purposes. He can take the weakest of men, set them on fire with the truth, and change the whole spiritual landscape of a place. He can change everything just through one voice crying out in the wilderness with the power of God upon his life. God does not need the so-called movers and shakers of this world. His kingdom is spiritual, and it's advanced as the truth is preached, and people are changed in their hearts. The mighty Hebrides revival began in a simple hut with two old blind crippled ladies that had power with God, that prayed, that lived in the presence of God, and it ended with Duncan Campbell coming and hundreds being swept into the kingdom. The last point is this. When God speaks, things begin to happen. Look here in in, uh, Luke 4 when he quotes this prophecy from Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled. Humble are going to be exalted. Every mountain and hill will be brought low, proud, abased. The crooked will become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. John had a message and started preaching and the people started coming. He needed no food, no fun, no games to get him to come. He needed no fancy building. He needed no entertainment. All he had was the word of God preached with the power of God. And that was alone sufficient to bring about change and affect the people. And I've been reading um, Martin Lloyd-Jones's biography, the shortened version, which I've been made fun of for reading the shorter one instead of the long one. Um, but it's good. And I was struck by this in the life of Martin Lloyd-Jones because he, he held this conviction that the word of God was sufficient. I mean, the preached word was sufficient to draw people. God could save people by it. Um, after the war, he kind of came in there right during the war into Westminster Chapel, which was this big E-free kind of church. Um, and he was taking over the congregation from Campbell Morgan. And when they resumed, they had canceled a lot of the activities of the church during the war, obviously. I mean, bombs were dropping, so they weren't going to have the tennis games and stuff like that they'd used to have. Um, But all these pre-war institutions, it says, such as the Women's League, the Institute with activities ranging from table tennis, gymnastics, singing, elocution, the Boys' Brigade, the Girls' Crusaders, even the church choir were to disappear permanently. There was to be no separate youth organization. Nothing was even said about the omissions, but they were noted, in particular by some of the old guard, the old, the old folks in the congregation who noticed these things were not there, who were long accustomed to regard such things as essentials for numerical success. In a building holding, capable of holding 2,000 with an actual regular regular congregation at this date, perhaps less than a quarter of that figure, 
Some people might be forgiven for a certain preoccupation with numbers. Some of Dr. Lloyd-Jones's friends were themselves not without doubts whether the primitive simplicity of church life and Calvinistic Methodism could succeed in London. Dr. Johnson later confessed, when I saw that he was without choir, without musical entertainment, and without any external aids set to preach the chapel full, I wondered if he could. So I, he was determined by the preaching of the word alone that God would begin to work, God would begin to save. And uh, this guy actually gives a testimony, this one, and it did happen. God began to work in that place. Many people were saved, and the chapel was filled. And one guy gives an account of hearing Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Um, he says he was kind of a, a guy that was in the military. Six years later, in 1944, I was stationed in London with the RAF. My religion, insofar as it had been a personal thing, had long since gone by the board. I needed help, and I needed it badly. I remembered going one Sunday morning to the Caxton Hall in Westminster where Martin Lloyd-Jones' congregation was worshiping. They had been bombed out of their own church a few weeks earlier. I went to hear Lloyd-Jones, for in my pursuit of some kind of peace in the midst of breakdown, I had listened to so many other voices. There was a thin congregation. A small man in a collar and tie walked up almost apologetically to the platform and called the people to worship. I remember thinking that Lloyd-Jones must be ill and that his place was being taken by one of his office bearers. This illusion was not dispelled during the first part of the service, though I was impressed by the quiet reverence of the man's prayers and his reading of the Bible. Ultimately, he announced his text and began his sermon in the same quiet voice. Then a curious thing happened. For the next 40 minutes, I became completely unconscious of everything except the word that this man was speaking. Not his words, mark you, but something behind them and in them and through them. I didn't realize it then, but I had been in the presence of the mystery of preaching when a man is lost in the message he proclaims. The essence of Dr. Lloyd-Jones' message to our time is vivid and unmistakable. The only hope for man in this world or in the world to come is to abandon his illusions, and come as a helpless child to God. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? God. So, he said, not his words. It wasn't just the way he was saying it or the things he had to say, but something behind them and in them and through them, right? Yeah. It was the speaking voice of God. It was the truth of ages striking the soul, striking the heart. That's what we need. We need God to speak. We need God to make himself real through the preaching of the word. Back to John the Baptist here. John's message, what was it like? Well, it was a message of strong warning and repentance. He did not tone it down. He did not alter it. He did not apologize for it. He wasn't sorry for the things he was saying. He preached what God told him to, and the people were convicted. They were concerned. They're saying, what shall we do? You know, John the Baptist, he wouldn't make it very long in a lot of churches, would he? I mean, he wouldn't be invited to come back after he gave his, his message. But he preached what God told him to. I hope that we never come to the church meetings to hear nice messages, right? 
God forbid, or even worse, to hear some new idea, right? Just to hear some new thing to add to our, our list of things that we know to inflate our pride of fleshly knowledge. John's cry, his message that God told him to preach was that of repentance. And that is the same cry today. God's word demands change, right? God is interested in our life. He's interested in the way we live. He's interested in our thought life, our souls, what we're living for, what we're doing, what we're saying with our words. We don't come just to hear nice things. If God has something to say to you, you better do it, right? If God's ever told you anything in your life, you better listen to him, and you better do what he told you to do. God's word is repent. Change your mind about sin, right? Realize it's evil. It's wicked. It's wicked to not love God. It's wicked to not pursue God. If you're coming to church for any reason other than pursuing the living God, it's a wrong reason. You were made for God. You were made to love Him, to know Him, to enjoy Him, to have communion with Him, to be with Him forever in heaven. And I mean to come to church just to hear nice things or to make yourself feel better about your, in your conscience. Well, at least I went to church. Maybe that will cancel out some of the bad things I did. That's not the way it works. Jesus Christ came to save you from your sins, to give you life. Life eternal. This is eternal life that we may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's what life is. You want to know what life is all about? It's not about your kids. It's not about your family. It's not about your job. It's not about your money. It's not about your knowledge, your intellect. It's about God. You can have none of those things, or all those things can be in ruins. But if you have Christ, you have life. Change your mind about sin. Repent. It's wicked and evil and offensive to God. As John the Baptist warned here, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Realize the wall of fire is coming. The day of judgment is coming. And the command of the Bible is to run, to flee to the refuge, Jesus Christ, to run to him. Be saved from this perverted generation. Be saved from this darkness. These verses here in Isaiah the prophet, are you a mountain of pride? Is the stench of pride in your heart? Cast yourself down before God. See that you're nothing. What do you have that you have not received? Right? Everything that you have has been given to you by God. You've done nothing of yourself on your own. Your very breath has been given to you by God. Are you, as these verses say, crooked? Are you crooked and perverted in your thought life? Be made straight by Jesus. Are you rough? Are you like the rough roads full of inward bitterness, jealousy, anger, unforgiveness? Is there someone in your heart that you say, I'll never forgive them? Well, God will never forgive you. You can't be saved unless you give up that sin, unless you repent of that sin. Every mountain and hill will be brought low, and the crooked will become straight, and the rough roads smooth, and all flesh, all people will see the salvation of God. See the salvation of God that Jesus has come to save you. He's come to die in the place of sinners, in your place. You deserve the death penalty. Christ took the death penalty. 
on the cross and rose again from the dead, that if you would come to him, believe in him, throw yourself upon him, you would be embraced by God. You would be saved by God. Brethren, this is what we need, right? We need God. We need the speaking voice of God, Lord, that you would speak. I want to end with one verse from the book of Hebrews here. Chapter 12. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. Don't refuse the voice of God, right? The Bible says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't, don't harden your hearts. Don't turn away from it. Don't ignore it. Don't push it out of your life. Push it out of your mind. Try to distract yourself with more entertainment or this or that. Don't refuse Him who is speaking. Him who is speaking to you from heaven. I mean, God has spoken. He's spoken in this place many times through many different men. Clearly. And it's a scary thing if you refuse Him who is speaking. He's good. He's worthy of our life, Right? He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our devotion. He wants your life, our whole soul, our whole life. So as an encouragement, Lord, help us. Help us to pray this way, right? We need God to be speaking to us. We want God to do this. We want God to raise up men and women, right, that will speak his word to other people. They have a word from God. They have something to share. So, Lord, help us. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we ask of you, Lord. We do want to hear your voice. We pray that you would send your word in power and in full conviction. Lord, I think of in Peter how it says they preached the gospel with the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, Lord. And that's our great need. We pray that you would send the Holy Spirit from heaven upon us and anoint your word. We pray that for Brother Charles today, Lord, that you'd empower him today as he preaches. Lord, help us. We want to hear from you. Lord, we want to meet with you. We want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.